Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Aaron Franklin from Loro coming up in a little bit, but first I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine, Mary Clarkson. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, Eric. Thank you for having me today. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, big burger news. Houston food influencer Abbas Danani announced that he has found a brick and mortar location for his Bodega Burger Smash Burger pop-up. He has claimed the former Cabo space on Washington Avenue. It's a, uh, it was previously a, a fire station, so that's, it's a historic building. He's looking to open this summer. Uh, Mary, let me just ask you: Are you are you in on the Smashburger trend, or or what do you think? I am. I'm kind of a little picky about it, but I've had several good Smashburgers recently, so yeah, I'm in on it. And I think the Washington corridor can definitely support a concept like this. Yeah i I like the. I mean, i've I've discovered sort of in my, my you know Smashburgers are very trendy. A boss isn't the only one doing a pop-up like this, right? Bun B has the Troll Burgers concept and there's uh, Booze Burgers and and then, you know, they show up at at various uh, restaurants. I know Pier 6 is doing one, Fiji's Barbecue, a whole bunch of places. But, you know, people like that, you know, they're, they're um, you get the crispy edges, right? And you get the really melty cheese and it's one of those kind of whole is greater than the sum of the parts situations. Crispy edges and a good bun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a squishy potato bun. That's all you need. Um, dive into the, the Washington Avenue thing a little bit more because, you know, FM Burgers or FM Kitchen is right there. Uh, Jack's Grill is right there. Uh, there's the five guys, I think, on, on Washington still. I mean, how do you see um, Bodega Burger fitting in? I think it'll fit in on the more casual landscape. You know, you've also got Ben Berg's restaurants at the other end of Washington in the sense of traditional steakhouse type of burgers and B&B lemon. Um, I think as long as the price points are somewhat reasonable, they'll do well. I don't know what their hours are going to be, but I imagine there's a demand for late night burgers. So I think it'd be smart to capitalize that. Obviously, there's a lot of late night Mexican options between Velvet Taco and the taco joint that's always been at the corner of Washington and Shepherd. Um, so it'll be. You're nice thinking of El Rey. Yes, El Rey. I was blanking on what it was. So I think there's a lot of taco spots. If there could be a late night burger joint, I think that would be awesome. I agree. And, you know, a boss is kind of leaning into that whole, you know, New York bodega thing where he's going to have a chopped cheese on the menu. You know, not being a pop up, having a restaurant will allow him to expand a little bit. They'll do fries, they'll do milkshakes, they'll do some other stuff. But, you know, this um, this burger bodega pop-up has been a real hit for him. I know he's, he's, he's had basically events every two weeks for the last uh, several months, and he sells that every time. So I think that's a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. And I love kind of seeing people test their concepts, prove up their concepts as pop-ups. And then, you know, they get, to tw- they get the benefit of being able to tweak the good things and the bad things before they move into a brick-and-mortar space, and they get to build up their followers. And I just think, you know, this is a, a great way to do business in the post COVID era, rather than just taking a gamble and hoping that a unproven concept works. Absolutely. All right. Let us move on to topic number two, 
Benji Levitt has converted the former Benji's Lounge Space in Rice Village into a new wine bar called Lee's Den. It has a selection of wines by the glass, along with a tidy little food menu of like shareable, shareable snacky kind of things and a couple of entrees. But also, you know, it's above local foods market, which is what he he converted Benji's into last year. And so you can buy a bottle at the retail price in the market and drink it in Lee's Den with no corkage fee. So first of all, I'm a huge fan of all things Benji does. I think he is really thorough about the design and menu and curation of his concepts. Uh, He always has amazing staff. And I think this is a really good fit for this neighborhood. I remember going to Benji's bar upstairs uh, in its previous incarnation, and it was always such a good, intimate spot. And I think people will happily welcome back another concept of his in this space. He doesn't sell his wine for quite retail. It's the bottle prices that he has in the shop are, you know, marginally above retail, not crazy, but get you pretty close to retail for a really fair price. Um, So I think a wonderful fit, definitely the least expensive option of being able to drink wine in this neighborhood other than Valhalla. (laughs) (laughs) Well, talk about that wine list just a little bit more. Um, Like what would you say it's, it's strengths are. Uh, I would probably say domestic wines are at strength. There's a lot of California and Oregon up, up in the retail shop. I haven't been to the, the bar yet. Um, there's, there's a nice amount of French. I think what he does well more than any particular region region is the price points. He's got a lot of great bottles under 50 bucks. And I think, you know, to be able to grab a bottle for 25, 35, 45 bucks, depending on, on, you know, what you're in the mood for that day, it allows wine to be within reach and not uh, priced out. I mean, a lot of people just want a glass of wine sometimes and they don't want to pay $15 a glass. And I hate to say it, but that's kind of the pricing I'm seeing around town is 15 bucks is not an abnormal price to see by the glass for some very mediocre wine. Uh, And he has done a very nice job or his wine team has done a nice job of um, working with some of the smaller distributors. So higher quality for the price that you're paying. Than, than you see at a lot of these bigger places. And I think you, you know, the other point is that, that that Benji's lounge space was so popular for so long that there is like a built-in, there is a built-in audience. And I think maybe a maybe a bit of a pent-up demand. I mean, you know, you can joke about Valhalla, but there's that um, uh, Simone on Sunset, right? That's kind of the the closest thing maybe to a wine bar in that immediate area. And, you know, I have a feeling this will be you know, a different selection, certainly a, a different look, you know, just another appealing alternative in that, in that area. Not that there aren't restaurants with great, you know, wine lists, certainly, you know, great Cooper's places and, and even Helen. But... I like Grant's places. Copa's a, a place I, I enjoy having a bottle of wine on the patio to be sure, but the price creep up has been really significant um, over the past several years. So for me, it's no longer as value play as it maybe once was. And then gratify is beautiful and gorgeous, but the wine markup is considerably higher there. Uh, any other thoughts on this? No, I'm excited to go. I, I guess I forgot that he had opened this past week. One of my girlfriends said they were going to the new local foods and I was confused, but I 
think this will be very, very popular once the word gets out. So I'm happy we're spreading the word. Absolutely. All right. And then topic number three, maybe not too much to say about this, but uh, Chef Daniel Wolf is the owner of City Cellars, another uh, wine bar and restaurant in the museum district. He's been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Uh, And so he's turning that personal uh, situation into a fundraising opportunity and city sellers will donate 10% of its sales uh, from the month of April to the Southern Smoke Foundation. I had a good conversation with Daniel. He, he basically acknowledged that, you know, he has health insurance. He has a family that will support him, but he realizes that not everyone in the food industry, you know, has the same benefits that he does. And so he's just trying to raise some awareness and, and raise a little money for, for people who are not as fortunate as he is. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that there are still so many either underinsured or not insured at all workers in our industry. So anything we can do to help um, support them and Southern Smoke does such a wonderful job. So this is fantastic. Yeah, have you been to City Cellars? I have not, to be honest. It's never been on my radar, but yay for him for doing this. Yeah, it's a kind of eclectic, you know, comfort food, it's kind of Southern inspired menu. I mean, I, I, when I met with Daniel, he tasted me through some stuff. I had a, you know, a really nice uh, fried green tomatoes. They do a, a pretty decadent filet and lobster tail, you know, a bunch of other stuff, Brussels sprouts. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very casual or it's a, it's a casual environment. It's pretty welcoming. Um, they do a lively brunch. And so, you know, to the extent that this prompts more people to check out city sellers, I think that's, that's, that's all to the good. And, and obviously any money they can raise for Southern Smoke will be very much appreciated. Absolutely. All right, Mary, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. This podcast is sponsored by Green Street. Covering four city blocks in the heart of downtown Houston, Green Street offers access to dining, entertainment, and more. Green Street is an ideal location for dinner and drinks before or after attending a game downtown at one of its four restaurants, Guadalajara del Centro, The Palm, House of Blues, or M&S Seafood. Its proximity to Discovery Green also means Green Street is an ideal stop as part of a larger crawl through downtown's many attractions. Over the years, I've seen any number of concerts at House of Blues, but Green Street has other entertainment options as well. Pete's Dueling Piano Bar offers an energetic atmosphere for grabbing a drink, and friends can gather for a night of friendly competition at 810 Billiards and Bowling. Whatever the occasion, make Green Street your downtown destination of choice. Located at 1201 Fannin Street, go to greenstreetdowntown.com to see a full list of restaurant, bar, and entertainment destinations. Mary, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about Bluestone Lane. It's a, it, it comes to us via New York City. It's an Australian, Australia-inspired coffee shop and cafe. And I, and I guess what I should start with is I, is I probably shouldn't really call it a coffee shop because it's a full-service restaurant that has a full coffee program. So it's more like a, it's definitely more restaurant than coffee shop. Yeah, for me, this is full-blown restaurant. Like, I don't even see how you could 
casually pop in here and grab a cup of coffee. I mean, they have a they have like a counter where you can stand and order and grab and go, but but it seems like the vast majority of people will be dining in or I guess, or maybe getting it to go, but like, it's, it's not a coffee shop in the sense that you, you line up, you know, and you get a cup of coffee and a pastry. It's, it's got a much uh, more complete food menu. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think the space is very pretty. Um, I was fortunate to street park uh, near you across the street. So I didn't have to try to navigate any side street parking um so uh or you know the parking lot i think they're very very busy because they're brand new but you know the heights is going to walk up the space you mentioned that it was a possible replacement to downhouse and i totally see that there i did think i don't know i'm just gonna say it i did think the prices were really really high (laughs) yeah it um you know, it, it did strike me. I mean, we had a, a kind of a combo breakfast plate of, of avocado toast and yogurt. And then I got one of their bowls with a whole bunch of vegetables. And I, you know, by the time I added bacon to the avocado toast and chicken to the, to the vegetable bowl, you know, your orange juice, my iced latte, we were at like $60 for lunch for two, plus an almond croissant, plus, you know, tax and tip. But it did. It caught me off guard that it was um, it was not an inexpensive proposition, and, and I guess that's kind of the other way in which it's not. You know, it's definitely more restaurant than than anything else, is because it's it's full price. I mean, there's there's no deals on that menu. It's full priced, and like there's definitely like, you know, I kind of put this in the column of like a tiny boxwoods price point category. It's definitely not an Avalon diner uh, type of price category, which is honestly one of my favorite spots of all time um but you know it's the heights i think there's honestly maybe room for this and more breakfast style concepts i do think there's a density of restaurants in the heights that kind of scares me right now but not for this category so i think because of that it'll do really really well i don't know how well people will adapt to Paying up front, obviously they can order from their waiter, with, but with how busy they were, it was definitely easier for us to order with the QR code and pay through the QR code and tip through the QR code. I personally don't like the idea of tipping on the front of your experience and you have no idea what kind of experience you're going to have, but whatever, maybe I'm old. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll say, I, you know, unless something goes really disastrously, like I would... I'm probably going to tip about the same amount of money regardless. You know, it's going to be a a pretty consistent 20% tip no matter what. So, you know, I I actually like the convenience of ordering on the phone. I I thought it kind of expedited the process a little bit. You know, I like being able to kind of customize all the choices again. Like that's how I added bacon to the avocado toast is because it it wouldn't necessarily have occurred to me to do that. But, but when it's all just, you know, presented there for you, it's, it's hard to resist. I mean, you talked about sort of, competition in the neighborhood you know the only sort of dedicated breakfast options off the top of my head well there's right there's the snooze uh on shepherd and then there's revival market and you know it's not there's there's plenty of coffee shops right there's boomtown and and tenfold and uh and a few others but not with quite the food program so i i I do think bluestone lane is really onto something and obviously it's been very successful you know up and down the east coast and and out in california so, you know, they have a winning formula 
and I, I enjoyed the food. I mean, I thought the bacon was cooked nicely. I thought the avocado toast was good. There were a lot of fun, like textures and flavors in that, in that bowl we had. I thought the chicken was cooked nicely. So, you know, I, I think there's actually quite a bit to recommend it. Absolutely. And, you know, new breakfast spots, they're always, I think they're going to do really, really well in the Heights. I think again, it's a, it's a corner of the market that hasn't been totally saturated yet. And I'll go back and I'll try it again. I think I'll just be a little more cautious about which items maybe I pick, maybe not avocado toast next time. (laughs) There you go. All right. And then just briefly, I want to talk to you about BCN. You and I had dinner there over the weekend. I think it was, you know, certainly, I think my last visit to BCN was pre-pandemic. And we had all of the things that you're supposed to have when you go to BCN, you know, pantomat and patas bravas and bomba rice. with the, Cigars. The squid ink. Yes, yes. A cigar, <laughs> a cigar at the very end. Uh, the lamb chop special. And, and it's just a reminder, you know, this is one of, there's, there's not a ton of, like true fine dining restaurants in Houston anymore, I would say. But BCN is still operating at a, at a very high level. The service that Jerry gave us that night and Paco also gives us in general, I just think it's just one of those places you can go and you know your night's going to go amazingly, whether it's the cocktails or the food or the ambiance or the service. Like, I don't have to worry, am I going to have a good experience when I go here? So that's the one reason I love it is it's fail safe. And I don't just say that for me. I think every time I've ever brought anybody there, they've returned without me with friends, with coworkers, that kind of thing. And everyone always has such glowing things to say about this restaurant. I I love the hospitality that they give. Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, I think of it as mostly an indoor sort of affair, but they do have that little patio and it was a beautiful night. It was, it was just the right environment to dine there. But, you know, we got there late, you know, after nine on a Saturday night. And as I sort of walked back uh, from, from the parking lot to, uh, or from dropping my car off to, to where we were sitting, sort of peeked in the windows of the main dining room. They were still rocking and rolling it at nine o'clock on Saturday. They, they showed no signs of slowing down. So, you know, this is, this is one of those restaurants that's, it's been around for a long time since, uh, 2013 and it's really established itself and and as you said sort of full credit to to jerry and paco and and chef luis roger i think it's just uh it's become a real institution in houston absolutely one of my favorite places to go i have i've had more than one birthday dinner here i love this place all right mary i'm gonna say that does it for the restaurants of the week thank you very much thank you and i will be back with aaron franklin I am joined this week by one of the founders of Loro, the Asian smokehouse that recently opened in the Heights. Aaron Franklin, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let's start with Loro. Could you just kind of start at the beginning? How did that how did that come together? Because you partnered with Uchi founder Tyson Cole to create mm-hmm. the concept. Did you come to him? Did he come to you? Like, how did this idea take shape? Yeah, you know, I think it's something that they had been working on for a while. They opened up Uchiko in 2009, um, the same year that we opened up Franklin Barbecue. 
And uh, I think probably right around that time, they started kicking around the idea of maybe like an Asian smokehouse. And, you know, through the years, you know, somebody would be like, hey, we're kind of working on this thing. Let me pick your brain a little bit. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll help out wherever I can. Um, definitely don't want to have anything to do with it, but, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can to help. Um, and then as the years kind of kept going along, Franklin Barbecue got a little more stable and I was able to kind of, you know, back out of that just a little bit. Um, you know, and then, gosh, I don't even remember what year exactly, but I did a uh, ramen night up at a, a Top Knot, then Top Knot up in Dallas. And, you know, we did this awesome ramen. It had all this brisket and stuff, um, which wasn't the first time, you know, that brisket ramen had ever happened, of course. Uh, but it was super duper fun. And I remember talking to John Baydale after that. Um, he's like, hey, let's grab a coffee. We're still working on the smoky thing. I'm like, ooh, smoky thing, go on. And um, from there, it just kind of, you know, it was good timing and it just, you know, felt like a really good fit. I super love those guys. Um, you know, they're so good at what they do and and I love how they run their restaurants and their culture and everything. Um, so that was kind of like, you know, the the first step was to be like, okay, you guys are cool. Maybe it just took me six years to warm up to it. Um, I'm kind of a, I'm a slow learner. Um, but yeah, so we kind of started fiddling around with stuff, you know, back in the kitchen at Uchiko. And I'll be darned, it was pretty gosh dang good. Um, and then about, you know, six years later, Laura opened. <laughs> uh, how would you sort of describe your role in, in shaping that, that menu? I mean, like, were you tasting specific dishes? Were you giving them ideas? How did it come together? Um, a little bit of all that stuff. You know, they've got such a talented uh, group of people to work with. There's so many awesome cooks. There's so many great chefs. Uh, within that organization that, you know, really everybody just kind of put, you know, threw a bunch of stuff out there like, oh, I've got this, you know, Malaysian chicken recipe. I've got the salsa I've been working on. And of course, they've been running an Asian restaurant for a real long time. So they've kind of got a good backlog of specials they've been running. They, you know, they've been kind of building this over for a good while. So at that point, you know, they've kind of got all these ideas of like, okay, well, this smoky thing is kind of weird. Let's do this. And then we kind of really started putting in the pieces. Uh, but it's pretty much like a giant puzzle built by a whole lot of people. Um, so, you know, I didn't really, you know, design anything uh, per se, uh, but we all definitely had our hands in and be like, oh, well, I like this a little bit like this. And really, you know, it was a pretty, um, pretty, pretty big group effort to come up with that menu. Well, let me, let me ask you specifically about the brisket. Cause obviously, I mean, that's what you're best known for at Franklin barbecue. Well, and the tofu. <laughs> no, just kidding. How, how is the brisket at Loro different from the brisket at Franklin Barbecue? Well, it's almost identical. Um, but when you think about all the components of a brisket cook, you know, you've got the meat itself, you've got the animal itself, you've got the firewood, you've got the smoker, what style of smoker, um, you know, who seasoned it. There's all these variables going on out there. Um, so really the brisket recipe at Loro is almost exactly the same as Franklin Barbecue, but the difference is, it's coming from Loro. Uh, so that makes it taste like Loro brisket. Um, you know, we use um, big oiler uh, rotisseries over there. And I kind of, I picked those out for the place just because it was easier to replicate. We could make more. Um, one of the biggest hurdles at Franklin barbecue is that we can only fit 24 briskets on an offset cooker. And it takes, usually takes somebody about two or three years to start getting really, really good at managing all those fires and stuff. So to kind of skirt that learning curve for Loro, um, I really wanted to go with the oilers and they're an all natural 
uh, wood burning rotisserie. They don't use, you know, gas assist or any of that kind of stuff. So out of all the rotisseries, those are the ones. And I, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of those things. Uh, but anyway, so that's the main difference is that the rotisserie oilers taste a lot different than the offset cookers. So it'd be kind of like the difference between like a grill and a big green egg versus, you know, like a Weber Smoky Mountain or something like that. They're all going to taste a little bit different. Talk about, talk about the decision to come to Houston. Like why sort of now and, and how did you identify that location in the old church? So, you know, from the beginning, the idea was to, to build the first one in Austin, kind of figure it out, see how it goes like anybody would. Uh, but then eventually, if things were going well and uh, we were happy with it and, and stuff, uh, to start kind of branching out. And of course, Houston um, is a great spot. So, you know, pretty much after I got Chris Shepard's blessing, like, OK, let's do a Houston thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I've been hanging out there for years. And of course, you know, I cook Southern Smoke every year and um you know, Houston's always been a, a good uh, second home for me uh, cooking barbecue. So it really, I don't know, it kind of just seemed like a no brainer. You guys have a great city out there. Well, thank you. We, we appreciate it. Uh, I mean, did you get to walk that church like before they signed the lease on it? I mean, what did you, what did you think? Well, I mean, that place is awesome. You know, it was built in the forties and I've got family that grew up all around in the Heights and stuff too. So it was kind of, they were giving me the, the scoop. I'm like, oh, well back in the seventies, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I think anybody that's been driving around there has no has noticed that church. I mean, it's been there, you know, I think that maybe the original chapel was built in the late thirties actually. Um, but so I'd been, been driving by quite a bit. I didn't have a chance to walk through the inside. Uh, but I got to say, I, I think that's going to end up out of all the Loros that we'll ever do. Uh, however many that may be, I think the one in the Heights is always going to be the coolest build. That building is so cool. And I love the energy of it. You know, one thing design wise is the first time we've really done this for Loro, uh, but we've got the original chapel that's kind of the waiting area slash bar. And then you've got the larger chapel that's the dining area. And I love the the split of energy between those two walking in there. Um, you know, it's like you've got this like kind of bustling situation. You're waiting for your table, having some drinks and stuff. And then you go into the main area for for dining and it's just peaceful. You don't feel rushed. You feel comfortable. It's got a good warmth to it. Um, the acoustics, I might add, are amazing. Um, yeah, it's such a cool building. Well, yeah, and those, I mean, the the transformation, I mean, any room with high ceilings, right? Because, I, I mean, I know you've been to one-fifth, and that's in an old church, and it has a, a, a kind of mm-hmm. warm atmosphere. But just all that glass they, they in the front door that they, they kind of took out that wall and replaced it with glass, and it's just, you know, especially like in the afternoon, I just think it's like a really, it's got a great energy to it. Yeah. It really, it really has a special energy. Big fan. You know, I've been there a couple of times. It's a, it's a pretty big menu. I mean, do you have like suggestions for people or can't miss dishes? How do you, how do you sort of approach a meal at Laura? Well, I mean, everybody's got their favorites and you're right. It is a huge menu. Um, you know, I I think, you know, kudos to those guys for being able to pull off such a big menu. Um, it's no no easy feat for sure. Uh, but a couple of my favorites, I'm going to say the Bavette. I'm going to start from the top and, and work my way to smaller dishes because um, I like to work backwards most of the time. Um, so the Bavette is super awesome. Love it, love it, love it. That's probably my favorite dish. Go figure. It's kind of smoky and pretty beefy. Um, so that's a good one. Uh, the salmon, love the salmon dish. That's a... I think that was kind of Tyson's favorite, actually. Um, and then 
you know, working through all the stuff, you know, the kale salad's amazing. Love the, uh, the rice noodles, the chips and dip are super awesome. The snap peas are super awesome. Uh, the corn fritters are awesome, but I think probably the number one favorite would have to be the chicken karage. Mm, I like it. That's pretty much what I would order for just myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had that chicken karage recently. That is so good. Is it like a honey glaze or whatever that they put on it? But it's like a little bit. It's sweet. a Thai chili gastrique. Yeah. It's like the smartest version of uh, McNuggets dipped in honey that I think I've ever had. Oh, absolutely. It's so good. So crispy. No, and that pivet's really good. And I, and I guess I, the thing that impressed me the most was it's like really, really good, like really smart vegetable dishes. Mm-hmm. And I've even had vegan friends be like, oh yeah, I love that place. And that is not something that you typically hear about uh, anything close to the barbecue world. No, no, it's true. You really don't. And that really, you know, goes to show like how the Uchi side of it really shines through, you know, with like all the bright flavors, the, you know, high acidity, high salt kind of stuff. Um, You know, actually one sleeper on the menu that is a newer thing on the menu is the uh, tomato cantaloupe salad. Um, when I was in Houston, man, I probably ordered like four of those things. I, I couldn't stop myself. So good. Well, and the, and the happy hour menu is super affordable, which I, mm-hmm. I think is really smart. Yeah. And I really, you know, you mentioned affordable, um, but really all that stuff's pretty darn affordable. I mean, for the, I think the quality that you get, knowing how much food really costs, um, when I look at the, at the menu, I'm like, oh, these, I, I feel pretty good about this. Yeah. Have you been in touch with the the team in Houston since the opening? Do you have a sense of how it's going? Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've been up there, um, hung out a, a fair bit and yeah, it's going super good. Um, I think the coolest thing, my biggest takeaway from the Houston location, you know, the kitchen's working great. You know, the training was awesome. We we've trained that location like no other. Um, but the thing that really gets me is all the neighborhood people that I've already seen as repeat offenders. Um, they keep coming through and, you know, we did a little bit of a pop-up in the parking lot out there and now hanging out in the dining room, those same people are coming up and they're just so darn nice and everybody seems so excited and, and so just, you know, open to try a new place. Cause it's kind of weird, you know, being from Austin and then opening up a restaurant in Houston. I mean, that's, that's pretty tricky territory really. Um, but we, we, we feel very much loved by the locals. Well, yeah, I mean, we Houstonians have a certain affection for Austin restaurants. Certainly, Uchi has been very successful. You know, Torchy's Pluckers. We're 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 welcoming. But but it could go both ways real quick. (laughs) Well, it's weirdly like not so much restaurants from Dallas, right? Like they they've had a harder time, but for whatever reason, restaurants from Austin we're we're totally down with. Cool, I'll take it. (laughs) Um, You mentioned however many Lauras you plan to open. I know you've got plans to do a second Dallas location. Uh, what about Houston? I mean, do you have a sense of you could do two, three, however many locations in Houston? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I uh, I, I would likely be looking for that in the uh, some some type of info in the near future. Yeah, there's a there's a rumor going around that that you guys already have a a second location identified. Yep, yep, we've definitely been looking pretty hardcore. You don't, you don't want to break any news and tell people where it is, do you? No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're, uh, there, there will be more Karage. <laughs> um, let, me, let me ask you about uh, a couple other things. I mean, you, uh, you mentioned Chris Shepard. I know you uh, helped design the grill for Wild Oats, his new restaurant. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I had Nick Fine on uh, a few weeks ago. He, uh, 
he, he said a lot of nice things about you, but oh, uh, <laughs> uh, what was it like? What was it like working with them to to build that? And and is that something you kind of see yourself doing? Is grills and I, I mean, I know you already make smokers, so yeah, I think um, you know, I mean, those guys are are good friends anyway. Um, so really, I mean, the me building or me designing the the grill for that place, and um you know, like most good things do just came out of hanging out at dinner one night. Like, yeah, we're doing this thing. It's like, oh, that sounds like fun. It's like, yeah, we kind of want to build something like this. I'm like, oh man, why don't I build it? Let's do that out of our shop. Because we've got some pretty uh, serious um, engineering capabilities of, you know, in-house and stuff. So yeah, I mean, pretty much that was the end of it. I mean, I designed the thing on a piece of paper. Um you know, our, uh, our fella at the shop, put it into CAD. We cut everything, built it and it's flipping awesome. It's one of the coolest things, uh, you know, we've put into a restaurant. Um, but yeah, I think there's a, I, it wouldn't surprise me if there was definitely a future in a, the Franklin barbecue stuff. You know, we have, you know, the offset cookers, the Franklin barbecue pits, we've got a whole bunch of new stuff, uh, coming down the pipeline. We've got the PK grills, uh, that we make with PK, so yeah, I think uh, th- this might be the early stages of a of a bigger picture. You know, just give me like one good, fun Chris Shepard story. Hmm. I don't know. That's kind of a tough one. Um, aren't they? Aren't they all fun stories? You know, that's that's probably true. Do you have like a favorite like Southern Smoke moment? Or I mean, I I I'm hopeful that we'll we'll get the festival back this year. Oh, the festival is definitely back this year for sure. Um, unless something terrible happens like a pandemic. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to say anything uh, too incriminating. I, I better just uh, say mum's the word on that one. <laughs> okay. um, you have, I mean, you have a couple other irons in the fire. I mean, I, I read you're working on like a sandwich shop thing, right? Like, yeah, uh, totally. We're in construction uh, here in Austin on East 6th uh, for a place that should open sometime in the late fall, early winter. Um, it's going to be called Uptown Sports Club, and it's kind of an all-day um, New Orleans-y kind of bar. You know, li- uh, gumbo is kind of my liquid brisket. So it, it seemed like a real natural next step. And I, you know, loosely been fantasizing for years about just doing a gumbo window, kind of like Looney Tunes, which is like a big brick wall, one window with no sign that just like scoops out gumbo all day. So <laughs> yeah, we're kind of doing it. <laughs> um, so the other question I sort of had for you is, you know, you, you wrote a book about steaks and you just designed a, a live fire grill that is being used for, among other things, cooking steaks. Do you have any aspirations to open a, a steakhouse or, or put your spin on that? No, no, not at all. Um, I think Uptown Sports Club will have uh, steaks at night occasionally because uh, it'll be, it turned into more like a brasserie kind of style menu um, in the PM. But yeah, I think, I don't really think I want to run a steakhouse. That sounds real hard. <laughs> <laughs> it may be about as hard as running a barbecue joint. Are you looking for like, I mean, obviously you're partnered up with, High Hospitality for Loro, and you've got some partners for uh, Uptown Sports Club. I mean, is that is that kind of what you think your future is? Like fun collaborations and and maybe some more projects down yeah, the road? I don't know. I mean, you never know till you know, I guess. Um, I think, you know, we've been, you know, beyond blessed with Franklin Barbecue. So that kind of opens up a lot of cool doors for us to do other neat things. Um, you know, but I think... 
I don't know. I mean, ne never say never, I guess. Um, I kind of figure, you know, after Uptown Sports Club and, and barbecue pits and stuff like that, I mean, eventually we've we've got to kind of stop doing some stuff. But if it seems fun and, and we're doing good, you know, I guess maybe maybe not stop. Who knows? And yeah, let me let me just kind of ask you about Franklin Barbecue. I mean, you you've stayed closed for dine in for a long time. You, mm -hmm. you recently reopened. I mean, are you back full throttle? I mean, is it we does are. Does it does it feel the same? Um, you know, South by Southwest happened uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago. So that usually kind of signals uh, the beginning of Franklin season, and uh, we're back, baby. <laughs> Game on! It is it is nuts. The weather's good. The masks are off, and uh, gosh, it, it just feels so good to have, you know, such a good energy over there again. Because, you know, really the last two years with doing like the curbside and stuff, like, oh, man, you know, I mean, there's so much uncertainty everywhere, and you really just don't know what to expect. Um, but I will say it feels real good to get a lot of people back in that place. Are you surprised? I mean, there's there's so much more barbecue now in Austin than when you first opened your brick and mortar location. I mean, are you, are you surprised that people still line up for like four hours to eat your food? I've always been surprised. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if I'm su uh, surprised as much as I am grateful. Do you look at like some of the newer places? Do you, do you sort of keep tabs on what they're doing? Do you. Mm -mm. Couldn't, couldn't tell you anything about it. I, uh, I've always kind of been the guy that just likes to keep his head down and, you know, let things just happen, happen from the heart, you know, on the food side of things. Um, yeah, I don't really, I don't really keep up with stuff in the barbecue world. Texas Monthly came out with their top 50. You, you're still in the top 10, but you're not in the top two anymore. Do you, does that change oh, anything? I, yeah, you, you, I didn't know. I never looked <laughs> at it. Okay. I know you, I know you come, you said you come to Houston quite a bit. Do you, do you have like a checklist? Are there restaurants where you like, what do you, what do you eat when you come here? I, I know it's definitely not barbecue. Yeah, it's definitely not barbecue. You're right about that. Um, you know, really, I think, I mean, RIP, but usually like Hey Merchant would be a, an afternoon stop, you know, get in town, grabbing a beer and a burger. Um, and usually, you know, Georgia James is definitely a dinner somewhere in there. So I think, I guess that's over at one fifth right now though. Uh, right. But yeah, so though, I mean, all of Chris's places usually, you know, lean heavy on the, on the choices, um, you know, crawfish noodles, all the old, you know, all the old faithfuls. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I don't know that there's a standard checklist because there's always a good handful of new spots too. No, for sure. I mean, I guess Laura was on my checklist. Yeah, drop in, see how the kids are doing. It'd be you know, weird. Check in. It'd be weird if I went to Houston and didn't go to Laura. <laughs> well, Aaron, I'm going to say that kind of brings me to the end of my questions. I mean, we we blew through this kind of fast, but do you? Uh... Well, I'm sorry, I had such concise answers. <laughs> I mean, is there anything you want to discuss, or any, any any thoughts you want to share about maybe dining in Houston or or how Laura's doing that that I haven't asked you about? Um, no, I mean, I don't really have anything. I'm, I'm just so excited that people are excited about Loro. Um, you know, I feel kind of like, you know, what we talked about. I mean, I, I feel so lucky that Houstonians, um, have so quickly accepted us, you know, and obviously, you know, we've both spent plenty of time in Houston, Tyson and I, um, but it really does feel good. Cause you never really know getting into something like that. Be like, ah, I don't know. You don't want to be too, uh, too bullish on, 
on confidence, you know, but it, it does feel good to have people be excited about stuff, see the food good, people showing up, um, you know, and it's just kind of like fuels the fire for me to spend more, spend more time in Houston. So that's real cool. All right. Well, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Aaron Franklin, what is your favorite ingredient? Salt. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Dinosaur Jr. Who is your favorite sports figure? What are sports? <laughs> <laughs> what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Oh, God. Taco Bell, crispy tacos. I know. I know. Judge Friesen, though. <laughs> when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what are your go-to toppings? Uh, green olives and pepperoni. Aaron, give us the, the website for, for Loro. I would assume it's www.loro.com. <laughs> I, I think it's actually Loro Eats, I think. Oh, Loro Eats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, loroeats.com. You might want to confirm that. I, uh, <laughs> I might not look up uh, these things on the internet. Fair enough. All right, Aaron, thank you so much. Heck yeah, thanks for having me. Good talking to you. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.